How on earth does the kingdom of God grow? How on earth does this spiritual kingdom grow? What does it look like? This is a question that Jesus' friends and followers were utterly consumed with. It's a question that my students ask me. How do I know if I'm growing and if we are growing in the world and if how is God work in the world? And we're going to look at two parables where Jesus lets us in on this. He lets us in on what the kingdom is like and the means and the pace in which it grows and spreads. Jesus, in a lot of ways with his parables, when he would tell these earthy stories he loved to tell so much, he's breaking the fourth wall. And if you know what I mean by that, um, this is when Jim and Pam in the office are talking to each other and then out of nowhere they start looking at the camera and they're talking about the ins and outs of life and work at Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. They're breaking the fourth wall to let us in on the intricacies of life in Dunder Mifflin. Jesus, in giving us parables, is saying, look, I'm going to tell you what I'm about, what my father's about, and what my kingdom is like and how it grows. And we have two parables in Mark 4. I'm going to read them and we're going to walk through it. This is God's word. He's spoken not to give us a theology exam to ace or a book of rules to follow. He's spoken to you and to me because he loves us. And he said, he meaning Jesus, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, it is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately in his own, to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let me pray. Lord, teach us again. Our minds are busy. Our hearts are restless. And so we just confess that unless you, by your spirit, slow our minds and hearts down, we just won't hear you. We won't learn. We won't grow. And so please have your way with us by your spirit that we would find Jesus beautiful that we would love and serve him this week because of this interaction with your word in Christ's name. Amen. So Jesus is inviting us to see two things about his kingdom in the world, and we're going to use two terms, small and slow, small and slow. Let's do the first one, uh, small. Again, Jesus loved telling earthy stories He'd be looking around. You want to know the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is like that or this. And they were, he was using, he'd point to things that would make sense in his own context in everyday life. Kingdom of God is like seeds being sown. Over a long period of time, these small seeds, they grow and expand and become a full-fledged garden that honestly looks a lot like Eden. What's he trying to say? First, Jesus is showing us that the kingdom of God has small beginnings. It has small beginnings. The kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed. That's how it starts. Jesus brings up mustard seeds. This is the Jewish way of saying, look, the kingdom of God starts small. 
I'm going to talk about some mustard seeds because that's how we all talk about things being small, things being seemingly insignificant. Jesus is saying, look, that my kingdom is not loud. My kingdom is not big. It begins small and humbly, sometimes maybe always unnoticed. It grows underground. You might not be able to post on social media about it, but oh boy, am I doing my gardening work in your midst. It grows powerfully because Jesus is the gardener and he knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus says it this way in John 15, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Sounds a lot like Eden, doesn't it? Of course it does. Kingdom life is a life where, as the great literary farmer and poet Wendell Berry puts it, and this is on the front of your handout, it's a life where we plant sequoias. That's the kingdom life. We plant sequoias, small beginnings. Think of what happens when seeds fall in between the cracks of concrete or pavement. Over time, and it might take years or months down the road, the seeds become so powerful because of all the growth that we can't see that's underground, that's small and unnoticed, starts cracking the concrete open. It gets out of control. Who knows what might happen? Do you know who Bill Cartwright is? I think uh, Justin Kendrick and maybe like three or four other people know who Bill Cartwright is. <laughs> Jack, you probably know who that is too. Um, let me tell you, Bill Cartwright was a center for the Chicago Bulls from 1988 to 1994. So he won, if you watched The Last Dancer, you watched Michael Jordan win the six championships with the Bulls. Bill Cartwright played on those first three-peat teams. They won three in a row, and then Jordan went and played baseball. He came back, they won three more. Cartwright was crucial on that first three-peat era of the, jo the Jordan teams, and Pippen was there. But unlike Pippen and Jordan... Cartwright's role on the team's success was quiet and reserved and often unseen. Here's what point guard who played on their teams, B.J. Armstrong, said about Bill Cartwright in a recent interview with um, podcaster Colin Cowherd. They start talking about Bill Cartwright. This is B.J. Armstrong. I learned how to play in the NBA from Bill Cartwright. I learned how to dress. I learned how to eat. I learned how to sleep. I learned how to travel. We referred to Bill as the teacher. Cowherd asks him this. Even Michael Jordan listened to him? Absolutely, Armstrong says. He was the teacher. Bill Cartwright was the pulse of our team. Everyone knew it. He didn't say much. He had that raspy voice. But when he did, everyone listened. What would he say to you? Cowherd asks. When I first came into the league, he would say things like, look, young, young man, first of all, you've got to perform. You've got to show up. Show up. This is your job. He goes on. He would teach me how to get up and eat. He would teach me how to get ice for myself after the game and get ready for the next game. At that time, you had to do your own laundry and wash our own uniforms. And Bill did all those things for us. He would tell us to take two or three pairs of shoes in case you lost one. He would tell us to sign autographs for fans that passed, uh, to, that passed, that we passed to show respect for the fans. This is the last thing that he said. Those were the little things that Bill did for which I'm forever grateful because it taught me how to be professional in this league. Bill taught me how to be the person that I am today. 
So ESPN Sports Center was always showing Jordan's highlights. The in midair, his tongue is out of his mouth, the up and under layups, the fadeaway jumpers. It did not show Bill Cartwright daily faithful love. And it did not show how this unseen work had ripple effects that changed the culture of the team and that ended up success. And listen, interestingly about Bill, uh, B.J. Armstrong, B.J. Armstrong goes on to be an NBA agent to help players navigate the chaos and the pressure of being an NBA player. I wonder why he chose to do that. Well, maybe because he was loved and helped profoundly and he's got to help somebody now. It starts small. The kingdom is unnoticed. It has small beginnings. It is mundane. You might not post about it. There might not be a newsletter about it. ESPN might not show it, but you got to believe that the spirit is at work in it. But here's the problem. That sounds nice, but we are profoundly allergic to the small. We are allergic to the small. We're all, as one of my friends calls us, uh, and us as in all Westerners, closet Texans. Closet Texans, because you know, if you're from Texas, you've been there, if you've had their wonderful brisket, you know that they are obsessed with the notion of big, of flashy. Our ideal kingdom is big and polished and easily quantifiable and upwardly mobile. Everyone had a big, flashy plan for Jesus. This big military plan, this is what the Messiah is going to do when he comes. Don't talk about the cross. Quantifiable Pharisee living strategies. No, 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 no. Don't, you can't heal people on that day. Instead, Jesus prays a lot by himself in solitude. No one saw him do that. Jesus prayed for his father's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. He embodied the fact and he taught the realities of the kingdom that says, if you want to go up, you have to go down. Watch how I do it. You might not like it, but you will find your life. You have to interact with outcasts instead of the least. You have to wash people's feet. You have to give yourself away. You might even find yourself going to a cross. So the kingdom is small. It has small beginnings. It's the small act of vacuuming the house and washing the dishes when you have no energy for it. It's a small act of doing reconciliation work with family members you're estranged with. It's surrounding yourself with Christian community to help you follow Jesus, actually inviting them into your life to speak truth into your life in an honest way. The kingdom is befriending an outcast and an addict and prodigal sons and daughters in this city. People might not see it. Kingdom has small beginnings. Here's what's magical and kind of wild about these small acts of love. They grow. I tell my students this and I describe it this way. Here's what happens. If you forgive your roommate, I say to them, if you start forgiving your roommate now, you might just grow into a spouse that forgives your husband. If you make forgiveness your MO now, you might forgive your, your wife when they say something to you that you just want to have a knee-jerk reaction of defensiveness. When you commit yourself to walking with and committing yourself to Christian friendships now, you'll be someone in your 30s and 40s who loves the church faithfully and doesn't bow out when it gets hard. If you befriend outcasts 
now and you get in the habit of it where this is just the norm of your life, you might just find outcasts wanting to come to your kitchen table to drink decaf coffee and cherry pie with you really late at night. The kingdom is small, small faithful acts of love. It might not look good on your resume, I tell them. You might not want to post it on your Instagram stories, I tell them. But it is beautiful and it will grow. God produces extraordinary things and humble beginnings. So the kingdom is small. It's also slow. It grows slow. It's the next thing that we see. Jesus wants us to know that there's a pace to it. And he's the gardener. It's not on our own terms. Jesus, in both parables, he's saying, look, my kingdom doesn't grow overnight. You might know that when we talk about sanctification, this ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus by the Spirit, it is not overnight, and neither is the expansion of God's kingdom. It's not. Jesus is saying, look, it doesn't grow overnight, and it doesn't grow according to your schedule. You might not even like the way that I do it. You might have to actually relinquish control. Actually, you have to relinquish control, because this is my project. So one of my friends has an herb garden and he had kale and thyme and basil and they would eat salads from it every night and they would make smoothies from it. And he planted this garden in May and in just one month, it was flourishing. It was amazing. He loved it. His kids loved it. His wife loved it. How did it happen in just a month? Just one month. It was amazing. It was so full. They were like in over their heads with basil or whatever. And <laughs> he planted already full, fully grown plants. <laughs> it's not because he was like, you know, Wendell Berry or whatever. He, he, he planted fully grown plants because he didn't want, he wanted it to be overnight. He didn't have the time or the patience. He wanted like basil in his salad right then and there. He wanted it instantaneously. And if we're honest, that's exactly how we think or at least we long for kingdom growth to work in our lives and the lives of our families and the life of this church and the life of our city. But Jesus is saying, look, it's on my terms. I'm the gardener. It goes at my pace. You are not in charge. Here's some fun gardening facts. One kernel of corn planted in the ground can produce approximately 1,800 kernels. Just roll with me. I don't even know what most of this means. Let's just... So watermelon seeds can produce a, pe a piece of fruit that's approximately 200,000 times its weight. An acorn produces an oak. Mustard seeds, Jimmy mustard seeds in particular, the tiny yellow ones, the seeds are usually about one to two millimeters. This produces a mustard tree that gets up to like 25 feet. Small beginnings, is it overnight? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. A lot of stuff happening underground. God's good timing for growing his kingdom happens on his terms and at his own pace, slowly but surely and steady. On a cosmic scale and personally, it's not overnight and it requires patience. It requires patience. It requires relying on God's word that's going to be growing, not our performance strategies and our 401ks in our New Year's resolutions. God is always the subject of the verb. 
always. He's the one driving. He is the main gardener. But we love shortcuts. I love shortcuts. And our addiction to shortcuts shows up when we go to Barnes & Noble, go into the Christian books section. This is why we always have the titles of Christian books. It's always shortcut to-do lists. Top 10 ways to blank. I've read these books. They're great. And it's so indicative of our addiction, our addiction to strategies. And it's just easier than trusting a gardener and giving up control. It just is. We love shortcuts. But he's the gardener, we aren't. <clears throat> First aid kit, this band has this great line that gets at it this way. I know that things don't grow unless you bless them with your patience. I know things won't grow unless you bless them with your patience. We're a year, we're over a year into this um, COVID-19 chaos. And I don't know about you, I have oftentimes after in the spring semester, I invite my students to reflect back on the academic year that they just have completed. How has God been at work in your life? How have you been stretched? How have you been challenged and grown? And we've kind of been this year anniversary of COVID-19 unleashing itself on our world. What has God been up to in our church and in our lives, our families' lives, our households' lives over the past year? Are you discouraged by that if you've asked that question? Are you trying to avoid that question because you haven't grown in ways you wish you could? Are you more addicted to your phone than you were when the pandemic started? Did you have all of these New Year's resolution plans and all like a lot more solitude to do it because we're all locked down? Are you discouraged when you look back over the past year? Let me just say that Jesus is so much more committed to the kingdom growing in your heart and your life than you are. And it is so much more magical and mysterious and better than our little plans. It just is. We are not the gardeners. You are not the gardener. And that is actually good news. I'm glad I'm not. I bet you are too. I hope that frees you. Jesus is at work in you, growing the fruit of his spirit in you as you abide in him. That's why we relentlessly preach Jesus at this church and we preach him from the scriptures and we eat the gospel with the Lord's Supper every week because we're trying to abide in Jesus, the gardener, that he might spread the fruit of his spirit out of our lives where this city just has to look at this church and say, what are they in on? And he's doing that. He's committed to us in that way. I want to tell you two stories in the life of our church. To be very practical, I feel like I've just been in Wendell Berry agricultural mode, and I just want to be practical here. And these are ways, let me say this, these are, these are underground, unseen ways that I've seen kingdom growth in two people's lives that has like ripple effects on my life where I want to grow. Did you know that our pastor Justin Kendrick play, prays every week at the police station in our city? And he's been doing it like three or four years. Did you know that? I bet you didn't know that. You might know that. Susan knows that. I know that because I share an office space with him. Most of y'all don't know that. He's not posting that on social media. There's nothing on our website that says that Justin Kendrick is doing that. But here's what happens. He tells me that he does that when I ask him what he did that morning. What do you think that makes me want to do when I hear that like often? What kind of pastor do you feel like that makes me want to be? What kind of stuff is stirred in me when I hear him say that every week? Use your imagination. 
Phil Swicegood, we have a, a party at, um, at his house uh, every year. Um, an end of the year party. We have a fall party and then an end of the year party at Swicegood's house. You've been out there on the lake. It's so fun. Last fall, we had our fall party out there. And uh, I get a text from, uh, from Dr. Swicegood and said, look, I'm running late. Uh, Cindy called me and said, uh, Phil's been caught up and he shows up and there's probably like 25 students already there expecting like we come to this party, we expect everything to happen for us, you know, um, classic college narcissism. But we just want, you know, we want everything. We have no idea what goes on behind the scenes. So where is everything? How is this going to happen? So Swicegood shows up like probably 30 minutes to an hour later. And I was like, you know, everything okay? And he's like, oh yeah, I, you know, I had a flat tire on 85 um, running this errand. I think he was picking up one of his daughters and it made him late. In typical Swicegood fashion, he said it with a calm, non-anxious tone. And I'm like, I'm having an anxiety attack listening to you describe this situation. And he gets done describing, didn't really even want to talk about it, not drawing attention to himself. He's like, all right, I'll, I'll be at the fire pit making the fire for s'mores for everybody. And he immediately, instead of like announcing, listen to what I just went through and I'm still giving myself away to these college students, how holy am I? No one knew that. No student knew that that happened. I only knew. What do you think that did to me when he told me that? I want to find fire pits to serve students. And I want to serve in ways that doesn't draw attention to myself. That's what happens. God is at work in the life of our church in these unseen ways. And we could go on and on and on about this in y'all's lives. We could. And it is changing us because he's the gardener doing all kinds of work and it's slow and it's steady. So Jesus is the gardener landing the plane here and um, he is committed to your life and his whole creation. So cosmically, he wants to take this parable and explode it cosmically. He does. He's the subject of the verb. He's going to go at his own speed and his own pace. And we promise him and his word. We trust him and his promises and his word. Did you know the Bible starts and ends with a garden? You might know that. Looks a lot like our parable. Daniel 4. I don't, we're not going to get into Daniel 4. I just want, I'm going to read Daniel 4 and I want you to think about Jesus as the gardener fulfilling these words. The vision in my head when I laid in bed, I saw, behold, a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. Around Advent season, my friends said this, when a tiny baby is born in a manger to a teenage girl in a stable in the backwoods town of Bethlehem. And the welcoming party consists of lowly shepherds. You're tempted to think nothing powerful could come from this. Think again. Think again. Because that little baby boy ends up destroying sin and death by walking up out of a graveyard. Who would have thought? Amen. Let me pray for us.
Lord, thank you for your word and being more committed to its um, sufficiency than, than us in our fickle faith. We are just tossed to and fro like we're in a violent ocean of doubt and sin and shame and confusion and we really need help and give us eyes to see this unseen work in the world and even in our eyes, again, in our lives, open our eyes to your work. We trust that you're at work always. You never clock out your providential extension of your kingdom is happening as we're praying to you right now. So Lord, give us eyes to see that work and hearts to trust you as we labor in that kingdom this coming week in Christ's name. Amen.